When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today, we have a bunch to recap. Some not-so-great performances for the Kansas Jayhawks that then turned into what hopefully is the linchpin of the season for the men. Um, we'll have to see how that goes. And then, of course, the women continued rolling on to here here to help me recap all of that and talk about what we expect coming up is kyle davis my deputy editor over at blue wings rising kyle how you doing today uh it's a sunday night of a three-day weekend so i'm i'm pretty good better than most sunday nights yeah yeah no i always i keep forgetting that it is a three-day weekend and so um yeah but you know what this is a uh this has been quite the weekend for the jayhawks uh, i think there was definitely some worry uh you know they they went on the road to Texas Tech with Kevin McCullough not available, Jamari McDowell not available, um, you know, on a big Monday. Again, kind of very similar to the Kansas State game. And I think turned in a performance that was very similar to the Kansas State game performance, uh, unfortunately. So um, before we dive into Oklahoma, because I think that's the one that probably, you know, is the most important moving forward. Was there anything from that stretch? Because we didn't get the podcast last week. Um, anything from the stretch, either the Kansas State game, the Baylor game, the or the uh, – the Texas Tech game that you think is super important for moving forward? I mean, the K-State game was, it sounds like everyone was sick. Uh, Johnny yeah, Perkins was throwing up before the game. It was one of those games. Baylor, I thought, you know, it was not a great ending, uh, especially for one player named Nick Timberlake, but, like, it was a pretty decent effort. And then the Texas Tech game was one of those where it's like, there's going, there's going to be those weird chalk come up games where literally guys who usually don't shoot it that badly miss every single thing. I mean, you're never going to see Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams and uh, Dwan Harris. And honestly, probably Furphy for that matter, shoot as poorly as they did. I mean, when you have, you know, your two big guys, which the whole thing with Texas tech was that if Kansas can do anything is they can, they can dominate the paint you have your two big guys go a combined three of 19, like you're just not going to win that game. And then you chalk up that Texas Tech was absolutely feeling it from three. Um, 
it will surprise no one that uh, they did not kill it from three on Saturday against Iowa State. So, like, you know, it was one of those where you have guys um, like Darian Williams who just could not miss. He was a perfect eight to eight from two. He was four for four from three. Uh, and, like, guys like that who are just are usually not that big of threats um, just played out of their minds. Uh, so, like, I K-State – was sickness. Baylor was a gutty win. It was at home. I don't expect any team to beat Kansas at home this year. Uh, Texas Tech was just like the literally worst case scenario of, you know, you can't make a shot to save your life and they're, you know, you're hurt and you're banged up in the short turnaround and they're tired and just like, you know, that everything that could go wrong went wrong. And then now you have the Oklahoma game, which I know Fran Priscilla, who is KU fans' favorite analyst of all time, talked about it a lot on the broadcast. But, like, this was the big game that was going to be kind of the – It was. this the, was either going to be the turning point or this was going to be the delta the, where you're like, okay. It was, it was the bellwether for the season. Like, either they were going to figure right. it out and get the win and you could feel like they're maybe – going to be able to make that progress with Kevin McCullough coming back, or they were going to fall flat on their face, and you're going to wonder if they could actually make a run in March. Um, right, because you, know, you have you have a week off. You have two straight home games. Uh, like, this is like you – if you get that win, you feel much better about the next two weeks and getting into March than you would if you dropped uh, – what is it? It would be the five of six road games since the calendar year. Yeah, I mean, and, and not only is it two home games, but it's two – Two home games against decent opponents, but not ones that are unbeatable. Like the worry, of course, with right. BYU is that if they go off from three, which, you know, let's let's be real. It's going to happen just because it's Kansas and everybody goes off from three against them. It just won't be unexpected with BYU. Um, but, you know, if they go off from three, they're going to be super competitive. It's going to be a difficult game. Um, but if Kansas can limit them even a little bit, then I don't know that you necessarily worry as much because BYU is not nearly as good inside. Um, you know, Texas is not a team I'm necessarily that worried about. And the fact that it's going to be, again, after an entire week off with guys getting that kind of time to, 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 uh, to, to rest up and, and get healthy again, you know, and, and I think that was the big thing. Like, I think we all kind of underestimated a little bit about, well, I don't even want to say that that, that we underestimated how big of a deal it was that Kevin McCullough was out. Cause I think everybody knew it was going to be a problem. I think what mm-hmm. we, what we overestimated, I think, was the ability of other guys to be able to step up and the defense to be able to continue to be as, you know, electric as it was when McCuller was in there. Um, you know, Kansas's issues this year have all been offensively not being able to score nearly as much. And that's what happens when you, you know, play your five starters basically 35 minutes a game. Um, they get some tired legs at the end, but. You know, this is a team that has always been really good defensively. And actually that, that Oklahoma performance jumped them back up into the top 10, according to Ken Palm. So they're, they're number 10 defensively over at Ken Palm, which is great. It's an awesome sign for this team because that's how this team is going to have to win is by playing really good defense and then just taking advantage of whatever they can inside. Yeah. And, and it's, and that's the thing with the Big 12 too. It's not even just when you have a short bench and you have 48 hour turnaround for a game. It's that they were playing two, Top ten, top fifth, or Offensive, top fifteen, yeah. top ten teams uh, on a Saturday, and then had to go on the road. Like those are very different. If you're in the Pac-12 and your Saturday game is Oregon State, and then you have to turn around on a Monday and go to you know UCLA or something. Well, and like let's that. be honest, it's not like the teams that they played on the road or or any slouches. Like Kansas State, yeah, they've struggled this year, but that was a a rivalry game on the road. You took them to overtime, like. 
Those sorts of things happen. The game against right. Texas Tech, Texas Tech is a good team. They're just much better in one aspect of the game than the other. And unfortunately, yeah. Kansas wasn't able to stop it. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, I, this, this feels like, um, like I know everyone wants to automatically, automatically look ahead to March and we can kind of talk about that. And they did the bracket reveal the first 16, but like with this team's makeup, it feels like that second round game is going to be the scariest for KU. Cause you feel like if they get through that first weekend, they're winning the sweet 16 when they have rest and four days to prepare. And then, you know, it, it's at least elite eight. And then you see what happens and maybe your five guys, you know, can will through it. But yeah, this, if like, I'm already looking at, you know, the potential kind of seedings and layouts and whatnot. And like that second round game is the most terrifying because it's two days rest. Hopefully you're healthier by then. Weird stuff can happen. Like it feels like if you can get through that first weekend, you're going to be in great shape if you're Kansas uh, to make a deeper run. Well, and especially since Kansas is going to be probably in that two to three seed range, unless they just completely like if they lose out the rest of the way, then they'd probably be a five or six. But, you know, they're probably going to be a two or three, just depending on how things go. Um, you know, I don't see them catching Iowa State and Houston for the Big 12 lead. So, in, I mean, unless they win the Big 12 tournament, uh, which may or may not be in their best interest, like I don't see any chance for them to jump up to a one. But a two or a three, you're going to be playing a team in that second round um, that theoretically does one thing well enough that they can give you problems. The real question just is, is it a matchup that is really good against something that you don't do very well? Or is it going to be against something that you're also strong at and so you can kind of weather whatever it is that they bring? That's why everybody, you know, who actually knows anything about the tournament calls it a crapshoot all the time because it really does come down to draws. Like, it's much less about your seed. It's much less about your location. It's it's much more important which team you draw and how they specifically match up with you. And that's why you see teams make deep runs. So, Yeah, and, and I, I would honestly, because basically every game is – quad one game from here on out i would be shocked if they you i don't think it's possible to fall less than a, off the four line even because yeah, i mean yeah of the way everyone probably, else the way yeah. that like wisconsin was still on a four line and they can't beat anybody in any quad level in the last two weeks and so um they lost again to, to iowa yesterday um so yeah i but i think it's i think a two is is yeah three is the worst two is very much a play and really with this year it's there's three exceptional teams and then from four to about 12 is teams that can beat anybody on a given night and can lose to anybody on a given night you know if you look at even like that fourth number one seed whether it's arizona or if it's unc or you know who marquette which we just saw just got absolutely just annihilated got by you like destroyed <laughs> you know like uh, you know, even in, on the, th- you know, Tennessee, like, which we've seen, like, lay an A against A&M and then come back, you know, put up a hundred on Kentucky and then only score what? 59 points against A&M, something like that. Like, these are all, there, there's three that are kind of above the rest, it feels like. And then everyone else is, is, seems like in that same kind of playing field, which is right. Then it's just kind of like, all right, who's healthy? Who's making shots? Um, and can you get by that, you know, first weekend? And that's why, especially, you know, if you're the two seed, let's say, or the three seed, honestly, interchangeable. You, you, the game you would probably have to worry about the most is that Sweet Sixteen game where you're playing at another two or three, if everything goes how the bracket says. And that's where I just like build self on four days of rest. But that's where that second round game is is key because Kansas is hopefully going to get healthier with this week off, but they definitely are not healthy. Like McCuller played, he was not healthy. Yeah, you I could tell say. he was he, dragging a little bit. And I mean Harris. Yeah. Yeah, Hunter seemed banged up. He seemed slow, especially to kind of 
you know, move laterally or, or, or kind of the quick kind of like, you know, other people are just like getting on the ground faster than him, that sort of thing. Um, so I think I'm, I'm going to be honest. Be the guy that I that worried me the most was KJ Adams. It almost looked in the first yeah. half like he had an injury of some sort, but in the second half he was all over the place. So like he definitely picked it up. I don't know what exactly that was, but I mean this was very much a game of two different halves, right? Where um, in the first half I was like, "What is wrong with this team? Like this is not good at all." And of course, you know when Oklahoma goes up by 11 in that first half with like you know three minutes to go in the first half or something like that. Um, and then they, and then Kansas was able to make that run to get it within five at halftime, um, which is great. But, you know, Ken Palm didn't have Kansas with a win probability over 50% until the nine minute mark of the second half. Like, that's how bad this game was for the, you know, and, and Oklahoma was favored because of how close they are in Ken Palm and the fact that Oklahoma was at home. Like, that's understandable, but it was pretty close to 50%. It got all the way down to 15% at one point, um, which is ridiculous. It's just like, it looked like they were going to get run out of the gym, but uh, you know, I I was very happy to see what they were able to do in that second half and finally just kind of take control. And it made it so that the last, you know, two TV timeouts were just a little bit uh, easier to deal with at that point. I am curious. You mentioned KJ, because this is, I have nothing to go off of outside of just being there in the, uh, um, in the game against Baylor and having seats that are on the side where Kansas plays offense in the second half. So I get a good, you know, good view of on, in the second half that team. And it was a little bit before Juan rolled his ankle. And then even afterward, every single time out, KJ was like really stretching something on his leg. And he was, he was trying to work something out. It was, it was yeah, a lot of I uh, thought it was the cramping. back and leg and like, I thought it yeah. was cramping in the Baylor game, but the fact that it kind but of, but I've noticed it in a couple yeah. And I've noticed it in a couple of games this year where he's just late. It seems like he's, he's, you couldn't tell from his face. It's not like he's kind of, you know, wincing or, or anything, but it just seems like he's trying to work something out. And so, yeah, I don't know how many players would say that they're at a hundred percent physically in February after a grueling, you know, conference season. So it's nothing to expect, but you're right. I think with him, it's just, even when they're not an injury diagnosis, it just looked like, his body could use a little bit of a break. Well, I mean, and, and let's be honest, you know, he was leading the big 12 in field goal percentage, um, you know, for quite a long time. And then you look in his last four games, you know, three of the four games he shot at 50% or under on the day, um, you know, including that one of nine at Texas tech uh, for, I'm sorry, one of 10, including the three pointer that he took. Uh, I believe that was like the end of a shot clock or something, but you know, I mean, this is a, this is not the type of performance we've expected to see from him. Usually if they get it to him inside and he doesn't have somebody like literally right in his face, he's almost automatic, like even more so than Hunter has been for a while. So I I was shocked to kind of see just how difficult it was for him to score in the last two weeks or so. I I have to think at least some of that is just fatigue related. Um, You know, if, if you really think about it, he was playing well in the Baylor game. And then, yeah, like you said, it looked like he was stretching out. And then, uh, you know, he just seemed to step slow in the game against Texas Tech down in Lubbock. Not not to the point where, like, I'm super worried that he's injured, that he's it's going to be something that's going to, you know, persist. But I think he, just like everyone else, because of the level of energy that he plays with and that he's been playing for so long. Um, you know, Johnny Furphy's a little bit different in that he hasn't been a starter. He hasn't been playing that many minutes most of the season. So he's come in, he's been very fresh. It's taken a while for him to kind of get fatigued. And so you see that, um, KJ has been playing all year long. 
and playing, you know, at least 25 minutes in every single game, except for, I think, the first two games. Like, <laughs> that's a lot of minutes to play all year long. In fact, I, I think there's a, he, he's only played five games, I think, where he has, where his minutes were under 30. Yeah. Only five games on the season. Um, has he had played less than three quarters of the minutes? So, I mean, it's not that, un- or it's not, it's very understandable that they would be fatigued at this point, this week off. Hopefully, we're going to see them come back against Texas. And I think partly because it's Texas, but partly because they're going to have that week off. Um, I'm expecting them to play a very good game, very significant. Uh, I'm really hoping that they just completely take Texas, you know, back to the woodshed and just beat the crap out of them. So I'm looking forward to that game. It's going to be a big game. I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of people in town, a lot of fun stuff. I'm 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 ready for that one. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you're right. And Texas does not have the week off. They have a Monday game against Kansas State, which is interesting. It is at home, um, so they still will have a decent break, but not to the extent that Kansas does, um, especially because you know your body just wears down on that short turnaround. So that will be interesting to see how. Yeah, how let's uh, let's that. let's root for a five overtime game in that one. Like exactly. it's probably yeah. going to be super ugly to watch regardless. So, you know, if I have to watch five ugly overtimes, uh, that's fine. I'll deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the, uh, the Oklahoma one was, was interesting because it was, uh, well, one, there's two things that was very clear. One is that the defense sparked the offense and especially the defense of like KJ Adams and Dwan Harris. And number two, like Kansas, it, I think this was also important because for the first, what, five? So obviously the end of the first half was significant, going from down 11 to a down five. But, like, Kansas almost refused to take the lead. If you watched it, like, they either missed one or two free throws or they missed a jumper or gave up an easy basket. Like, they they tied the ball game – they tied tied the game several times. They refused to take the lead. Uh, It was, what, 39-39, 41-41. It kept going – uh, you know, of course, um, uh, they tie the game. I think it was Adams only made one of two, and then OU got an and one. Harrison hit the three. Then finally, after a stop, then the McCullough three goes. But like, I th- it almost felt like there was a um, a giant exhale uh, when they finally took the lead because it had taken so long. Because they they clawed back immediately, and you say in the first four minutes of the second half, you don't have to get it all back, but you can't let the lead extend, right? You can't go from being down five to then down nine uh, in, in the first four minutes. They did that. They kept it. I think they were down three at the first uh, media timeout, I believe, of the yeah, first half. They got back up half. to six so, at one point, but that was it. Right. And then, yeah, and then you had the, what, the the steal, and then the furphy dunk got it back down to three. Um, another turnover, like, oh, you were just turning the ball all over the place. But it almost felt like it, it was almost like kind of – you you broke through literally in terms of taking the lead, but it also felt very kind of symbolic of the team, like finally needing to like break out of the ice and breathe. And it seemed like once that happened, it was like this giant weight came off their shoulders and, you know, things started falling. Things just were, you know, like Adams, uh, KJ had a hit a floater, Burfrey knocked down a three, um, Harris scored four straight points in there. Like it just felt like it was a, deep breath, like we finally have the lead again, maybe we're going to be okay on the road. And I have to imagine that, especially when you're talking about college kids, like the psychological aspect of these road struggles and teams just coming out and hitting 
sticks of their first 10 threes against you, which feels like every single time, like that's got to be deflating and frustrating. And then having so many opportunities to take the lead and not being able to do it, you sit there and you watch and you think to yourself, is this going to be one of those games where we look back and like, if they would have made this or made it done that, and then they let OU hang around enough that then that it got them. Uh, like the mental aspect of that, I think was very apparent of once they finally were able to break through. And again, it was defense and, and OU helped them by throwing the ball all over the place there for a little bit. But like, it, it seemed like, I think that's why it was so important too, was that it just felt like, Again, there there was a there was a like an ease and also then just like a confidence and motivation that came with that um, bucket that I'm interested to see how it carries because you know you, it had to imagine that especially after that Texas Tech game then to have another team come out and just not miss against you and you think here we go again we're never going to hear the end of it like yeah um, I mean- yeah that was that was a weight that's got to be be easier now yeah i mean like uh, i don't want to put too much weight on one specific point but i mean you look at the way right that they finally took the lead in that game because because they were being held at bay you know they were making one of two free throws and and just not being able to get over the hump there they did that i had i think they had three different times where if they had made both free throws they could have taken the lead and they missed one of them to tie it up instead um but you get to that you know that sequence there because you know they had just like kansas just tied it up and then Oklahoma went really quick in transition, got a dunk and a foul to go up by three. Then Harris hits a three, right? Of all people, the ones that you don't expect to be the guy, right? If you're going to pick someone, Harris ties it up and then they force a miss. And then a quickly in a transition situation, McCuller gets a three. And those two guys being the ones that hit it with three pointers, which have been such a struggle for this team, like just the way all that happened, it's like, oh, we actually got this going well for us. The defense, like you said, has, you know, really kind of got them back in the game. And then they were able to kind of break through using something, an aspect of their game that's been a problem all year long. That's been a, you know, very difficult for them to actually do anything with. And that's what got them where they needed to be. And then from there, they didn't trail the rest of the game. They slowly, or they not slowly, they quickly pushed the lead. I mean, they made from that point, actually, I guess they only made three point three three pointers from Harris's, like including Harris's. But from there, then they got to the line a whole bunch. They got a bunch of layups. They did, and, and they played really good defense to keep Oklahoma from scoring. In fact, uh, let's see when they took that lead. Let's see the uh, yeah, it was forty nine to forty six. Uh, Oklahoma scored nine points the rest of the way in in the last nine minutes of the game. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah, well, and shout out to Adam Sullivan, again, on Twitter, who is a fantastic follow for all things stats and records and all that sort of stuff. Uh, he pointed out, I don't know if you saw this, that Oklahoma was 4-22 in the second half. And so the four makes is the fewest by a KU opponent in a half since Stanford only hit five in the first half back in 2019. So uh, and one ridiculous. Of those, and one of those came with a minute and a half left <laughs> when when they right. were down by 12. <laughs> And that's what I mean. Like once Kansas took the lead, not only did it seem like the bucket was much bigger for them than it was like, you know how you just feel that when you can't make a shot and it feels like there's a lid on the basket, you just can't get anything going. And then you make a couple and you're like, Oh, now it feels like I'm shooting into the ocean. Like not only was there that, but then the defense just completely clamped down. And I know Bill self mentioned that, uh, that they changed their, their uh, on ball defense at halftime and that he gave credit to, uh, the players are being smart enough to handle it because it sounded like it was, uh, especially with the ball screen, it was a kind of a complicated change that they made and everyone handled it really well. But yeah, like this was, um, this was kind of a masterclass defensively 
And then obviously the defense leading to offense because, you know, Oklahoma's I had, I saw people on, on X during the game and they were mentioning me and just like, stop shooting threes, get to the rim, make a layup. It's like, well, Oklahoma's defense in the first half was only to basically pack in the paint and force Kansas to take jumpers and make them. The way that you either can break that is you start making some outside shots with Johnny Furphy was the only one willing to do that, or you cause turnovers and get stops. And instead of taking the ball out of bounds, like they were doing uh, in the first half when Oklahoma made threes and allowing the Sooners to get back on defense, now you're grabbing rebounds or you're forcing a turnover and you're in transition and they can't get back in time. And so I think that was huge because that defense, they're like, it, you know, the Oklahoma was successful in, in the strategy. It just until they stopped making shots and Kansas started forcing turnovers. And then when you have Harris leading a three on two and, and, you know, McCullough is able to slide down to the corner for an open three, like that's where Kansas is passing makes it so dangerous is when you have an advantage there, and especially from a time standpoint. And so, yeah, it wasn't that all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, Oklahoma forgot how to play defense. I think it really was. They were missing. They were turning it over. And Harris, we can talk about him a little bit, especially just had one of his probably best games, I would say. I mean, he had seven assists, zero turnovers. He was obviously locked in defensively and just like the ball movement and sharing and him knowing kind of, all right, now I need to take this shot here or I need to, you know, find Adams on the pick and roll. Like, I thought this was a... Dwan Harris masterclass uh, and one of the better ones we've seen so far. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, he had 11 points, so he hit that double-digit mark. But this was much more of a Harris being less hesitant to take a shot when he needed to, but still looking to get other people involved first, which is exactly the kind of play you need from him. Um, And so I think that's that's what you take from the second half. Kansas ended up leading almost every single statistical category by the end of the game, but it was – very, very different uh, when you came into <laughs> like that last 10 minutes is where they really kind of pushed it. They were they were fairly even all the way up through the last 10 minutes of the game, um, you know, and so it was like really that last 10 minutes where Kansas got, you know, dominant in, in like offensive rebounds. They had seven more defensive rebounds. They had 11 more rebounds total. Um, you know, they won in second chance points. They won in points of the paint. They They were tied on fast break points. They had more steals. They had you know, they had 17 assists to 10 from Oklahoma. Like they led every single major statistical category, except for free throw shooting, uh, free throw shooting. They only made 50%, but they also only like, they went to the line 18 times. Um, Oklahoma made 17 free throws. Like, <laughs> and, and, like they were, they were doing really well, I think from the free throw line. And, and that, that was probably, Kansas the, didn't have a, he didn't have, they, Kansas didn't have an attempt in the first half, which is right. They got pretty 18, amazing. When you, they got yeah. 18 in the second half. And of course, part of that was fouling at the end. Um, but you know, I mean, I I think in general, what you look at is that, Hey, this was a team that really turned it on in that last 10 minutes. And you look at that 10 minutes, like that is what gives you hope for the rest of the season. So we'll see how they're able to do that. Um, you know, I'm expecting some good things from this, from this Kansas team, but they've got to stay healthy and they've got to, you know, keep that rest going up. But one thing I never have to wonder if I'm going to get good things from would be the sponsor here on the podcast. That would be the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company that is based right here in Kansas City. They have both collegiate and professional apparel, and they have absolutely fantastic stuff. They have a Kansas collection uh, along with 30 other different schools and more, and they keep adding stuff all the time. They have a ton of Big 12 stuff. And let me tell you, they keep adding new stuff all the time. They just added some stuff recently uh, with, with Kansas City winning the Super Bowl. They have a whole bunch of Kansas City Chiefs, Kansas City Royals, because they are, of course, a Kansas City-based company, and they work really well with the Big 12 as a conference. So 
Head on over to charliehustle.com. Use promo code 101215. That's T E N 1215. And that will get you 15% off of all non sale items. Of course, they're always having sales all the time, but that is a code that you can use for any non sale item at any point as many times as you want. So, again, charliehustle.com, promo code 101215. Get 15% off of all non sale items. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right. We are going to go ahead and uh, wrap up and kind of talk a little bit about the women. But, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we're back. I am here with Kyle. Um, we just got done talking about the men, but final thoughts about the men before we jump over to the women? Well, can I ask you one question? Yeah, I'm go curious ahead. about this. Um, ranking order one, two, three, trust level Nick Timberlake, Marco Jackson, Jamari McDowell. What is your what is your ranking as of February eighteenth? Uh, Jamari McDowell one, Nick Timberlake probably two, and Marco Jackson three. See, I think this is I, I this is like one of the hills I feel like I'm dying on is that I if Jamari McDowell would have been healthy and not ill, uh, and when McCuller was out for those the Baylor game and the Texas Tech game, I think we would have seen. I, I, more of a um, I think they takeover would've... from him as like yeah. establishing himself as one of the bench guys off the or the, one of the like the maybe not the sixth man but like you know in that top yeah but seven. it was it was a huge opportunity for him to build some confidence as a you know reliable bench piece that he didn't get to have because he was sick right and and it just seems like uh, and again I'm not saying who's the the best player as of right now necessarily or athlete or whatever score or whatever but it just seems like he he knows where to be. He makes smart plays. He rarely makes a mistake. He plays better deep. Like I, I just, I, I'm struggling with Nick Timberlake's defense right now and, and his defense yeah, basically being fouling. But I mean, Timberlake's I, been a little bit better on defense, but I think really what it comes down to is that McDowell hasn't been out there long enough for us to get a true read on what the problems right. are. We've seen him do good right. things. We don't expect a lot from him. So when he gets out there for more minutes, like we'll get a better idea. But I don't think that there's room for him right now to get significant minutes because you have to try to get El Marco Jackson going. He's he's the most talented of the guys coming off the bench. 
And so if you can get him going, that's the biggest potential boost. The problem is he's just not getting going at all. Parker Brown has been really good, but has definitely kind of struggled a little bit recently. Um, but, you know, of the three guards, yeah, Jamari McDowell's the guy that I want to see more of. Not necessarily right. because I'm convinced that he's going to be better, but I already know that I'm not going to get what I need out of the other two. McDowell has the potential to bring that. So we at least, I, I think we at least need to try to see that. The, of, obviously, the question is, what is he showing in practice? What is he showing, you know, to the coaching staff that makes them not trust him in those types of moments? Right. Or is it more of a fact that you feel like you have to try and not completely right. is it crush more- Nick or El Marco's spirits and keeping them mentally and also coming back from, you know, if, if the illness was bad enough that it kept Jamari out of two games, you have to imagine then conditioning is probably rough yeah. getting back into it as well. And so that's why I'm curious after the week off, just the rest of the, the rest of the stretch. Again, I'm not, I'm not clamoring for Jamari to play 15 or 20 minutes a night. I'm just saying, like, it feels like and, – because, and, again, everyone has a – I mean, he and El Marco play the same amount of minutes. So, like, everyone has a short, narrow kind of view of a scope of what we're judging from. It just feels like – it kind of it, – it feels similar to – again, okay, I'm not calling him Johnny Furphy, but early on what we were saying with Johnny Furphy was that it seemed like he knew where to be and he was making smart decisions and he was he was not a hindrance in – the offense or certain areas. And so that's where I kind of feel like with Jamarius that he's, yeah, I he think... knows where to be. He's not a, he, he's not someone you can immediately target and say, go after that guy. Um, he's not going to wow you. He's not going to score 10 points a night. It just feels like I, I wish. And again, I'm not claiming him for now to do it. It's just one of those things where I wish he was healthier over the last two weeks. Cause yeah. I think, well, he and I think, I think McDowell is one of those guys that has a, probably a higher floor than some of the other options, but a lower ceiling. And so it's yes, a lot harder, right. right? It's a lot harder for him to make the case that he has to be in the lineup. Um, but you also know that if you get to the point where you just have to have somebody not mess up, he's probably the best option. And that's where we've seen McDowell used a lot is like late in a single, like late in the first half when they're in foul trouble and they just need somebody out there that they know isn't going to, you know, give up a really bad shot or something like that um, or, or take a really bad shot. And so, I think he's got a very specific use case right now just because I don't know that they know enough about how he's going to perform in those big moments. And he hasn't, he hasn't done anything that says I absolutely have to be out there. Like you need to play me. Um, I do think though, he's going to be a really good piece for this team moving forward. It's just a matter of, you know, how big of a role, like who are they recruiting over him or how is he going to find minutes for himself next year? Um, I I do think it's going to be a rather crowded backcourt next year. It's going to be a little weird. So, all right. Um, Let's go ahead. I mean, there's not really anything to talk about for this week coming up just because, one, I don't think that it's worth previewing Texas at this point. Um, also because it's Texas. I really don't want to talk anymore about Texas if I don't have to. So um, let's instead jump over to the women. The women are on a five-game winning streak. They beat BYU um, on the road in a game that was, um, you know, it, it was one that they never really felt like they were out of control of the game, but they didn't really put it away until the very end. Um, when they went on a little bit of a run there. But this is now the fifth game in a row with multiple different players. Like, Tyana Jackson had a horrible game against BYU, and a lot of that was foul trouble. Um, there's definitely some some concern with some of the emotional outbursts that she's had on the court. She picked up a – or she was going to pick up a flagrant, um, you know, a couple times. I've seen her, like – it's not one of those, like, you want to call her out for being too emotional of a player or anything like that. But it's like a – 
a worrying sign that there seems to be times where she loses her composure and then gets fouls that she shouldn't be getting because of that. Are you are you worried about this team or the fact that they have so many different people that have stepped up recently in so many different situations that it's like, hey, we could probably I'm like, I don't I don't know that if this was anybody other than BYU or like Cincinnati or Houston that they could have overcome, you know, Tiana Jackson and Denai Papadopoulou both being in foul trouble for the majority of the game. I think it could be I think it could be both. I think it could be it could be it's worrying because you don't have much of a bench like the men. Like it's it's five starters carrying the load for the majority of the time. You like to see that um the the balance is great for like March when someone because you're not gonna have you it like it's not a team solely based around Tiana Jackson to where like if she only has two points and four rebounds, you're going to lose by 20. Like you don't want that scenario. So it's great to have guards who can really um, pick up the slack and do that. But also you just have a lower, you have, you have uh, the margin of error is pretty thin when you don't have the bench similar to the guy. So I guess it's, it's both. It's great to see that you can, you know, uh, Mayberry stepped up quite a bit uh, in, in the BYU game. Obviously it's good to see that, um, First cutter has been shooting well from three. I think if I'm remembering right, this basically this week, she's what, eight of 14 from three. So, you know, 60%, you take that. Um, and so I think it's both. I think it's, it's great to know that you have someone else who can step up and be your leader on any given night. Um, but also you can't have too many of these performances from Tiana Jackson or, you know, Franklin or yeah. Nichols or whoever it is. Like it's, you just, there's 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 just not a lot of of backup and resources coming well, for you. And I think the, the the problem has been that they've had at least one of their core players who's had just an awful horrible, you know, off night um in every single one of these games and to make up that slack, they've had to have somebody just go off. Um you know, Tyana Jackson going off like that's something you can usually rely on for quite a bit. Um but you know, she's going to have times where she gets in foul trouble, especially with the way she plays, how aggressive she is, and, you know, and, and obviously sometimes losing her composure on the court. Like, that stuff happens. Um, you know, so, like, you cannot count on Tiana Jackson staying out of foul trouble. She she usually can play pretty well with foul trouble, but you can't count on it because you do have these instances, especially with a team like BYU that has two really good interior players. We saw that against some of the other teams as well that just have enough interior, you know, on the inside that they can take advantage of that. But, like... Samaya Nichols, who leads the team in scoring, uh, she got shut down in this game completely. She didn't make her first basket until, you know, two minutes into the fourth quarter, um, and it was a three-pointer that she finally made. But she went to a seven in this game, only had five points. But, I mean, it took Zakiya Franklin, who went back to the locker room for a good four minutes with a shoulder injury of some sort. Um, as far as I can tell, she's fine. It's just some sort of stinger that she had to get taken care of. Um, but her and Wyvette Mayberry both had to score a ton in this game. And then Holly Kirschgeter also went off. And so, like, my worry is that it's taking so many fantastic performances from individual players all at the same time for them to be able to pull out these wins. Now, granted, it's wins on the road. Um, you know, like, the fact that, they're get, that they got this win on the road is a huge thing. And if, if you're going to have to have huge performances from players on the road, I guess it's understandable because the Big 12 women – like home court advantage there is almost as good as it is over on the men's side, which is, you know, saying quite a bit. Um, but they are, you know, they are getting ready to go to Baylor. They're going down to Waco to take on Baylor this week. 
Um, you know, and then they have Kansas State coming to Allen Fieldhouse on Sunday. So it's good. It's a really big week against two really good opponents. You know, they've already beaten Baylor uh, at home. So now they need to try to beat them on the road, get that season sweep. They lost to Kansas State on the road in a game that they that Kansas State didn't have Ioka Lee, and now she is back. So there's, uh, you know, potential for worry. And you got to kind of wonder whether this team is going to be able to stay strong down the stretch. I was going to say, so, well, it's not even just the those two. I mean, you're playing three or four final games are against ranked opponents. Right. Um, and you probably like, need to win at least one of those ranked games. Like, you, you probably need to go two and two in this stretch. So that's in order that's to make the NCAA tournament. Because, yeah. So one without of the games a, without is that a, a Big 12 championship in the, in the tournament. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the games is that you, UCF, UCF's won three conference games this year. You should win that one. You've got, you know, K-State and Oklahoma at home. Oklahoma, you lost by only five on the road. So that's, you know, in theory, a, a winnable game. And then, yeah, at Baylor, I, I, you know, the Baylor one was ugly after the upset of, um, uh, Oh no, sorry. The Baylor was the win. And you have to imagine right. that ba- yeah, Baylor the was the, game got out of the hand. very, Baylor, yeah. Baylor was the win, and so you have to imagine they're wanting revenge there. Right. And so, can yeah, I, I agree. I think you have to get – can you get two of four there and then win at least your first game of the Big 12 tournament, or maybe two probably. But ideally, you know the UCF game on the road, that should be a win. I don't know if if, if Baylor on the road is happening given what – you know, those, those payback games can be real tough. Um, but, yeah, can you beat – can you end the season – with wins against UCF and Oklahoma, like that will go quite a long ways. But yeah, yeah, I don't think you can go one and three in this final four game stretch. Yeah, I mean, if you go one and three, you probably have to make it to the final, which is going to be difficult anyway. Um, but you don't want to leave it up to that at that point. And, you know, I mean, talking about this here, like Kansas, they've played, I believe that their strength of schedule now is number two in the nation. Like they played a really difficult schedule. They didn't do themselves a whole lot of favors. Um, but they played a really difficult schedule. The problem that you have there is you think about positioning for the Big 12 tournament. Like right now, they're a six seed, so they'd have to face uh, West Virginia, you know, in the semifinals. But in order to even get there, they'd have to face, I think it's like the winner of TCU and Cincinnati or something like that. So it's not like they get a bye into the, you know, into the quarter or into the, yeah, quarterfinals. Like they actually have to play their way in, which is not what you're used to, you know, with that, with that kind of spot. So, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to kind of see how they finish this out. You, the, the hope is that you can get, you know, at least another win or two. You want to try to stay above Iowa state. You want to try to stay above or get above Baylor. If you can, like, if you can get it to where you're in the top five seeds, then you have to feel pretty good about like finishing one through five in this conference is probably, they're all probably going to make the, the insulated tournament unless they get upset by, you know, like a Cincinnati or Houston in the Big 12 tournament. You have to, though, get yourself into that position so that you don't have two tough games just to get yourself in contention for a tournament berth. Because, you know, as as great as it was for this team to win the WNIT last year and be able to take that trophy home, it was supposed to be a building block for them to be able to get to the NCAA tournament this year and have a deep run in the NCAA tournament. If you don't even make the NCAA tournament this year, it's hard to call it a failure just because of, you know, the injury stuff they had to deal with and how difficult this conference is. But the expectation here was that this team was going to contend for a Big 12 title and was going to make the NCAA tournament and potentially make it to the Sweet 16 or later. You know, you have to you have to get to the tournament, I think, with this team, or else it's going to feel like it's a failure, whether it is or not. Yep, agreed. 
All right. Well, I think that's going to go ahead and do it for us today. Um, there's not really a whole lot to else to talk about in terms of preview. We will be kind of talking. Um, I'm going to try to have a Texas preview before the end of the week um, and potentially a K-State preview as well for Kansas, Kansas State on the women's side. But um, any final thoughts before we get out of here for today, Kyle? No, last thing I'm going to say uh, is some other really good news over the weekend. I'm sure you guys have been following along. Scott Pollard, KU great, got oh, yes. a heart transplant. He's, uh, you know, I, he, if you go and look on the on the site, maybe I'll throw it out there. He was one of the first uh, Blue Wings Rising Q&A guests, and he was just absolutely fantastic. Couldn't have been more gracious and, and nicer. And I think uh, if everyone's been following along with him and the battle and the fact that he is now – it looks like not only had the transplant and was successful, but he's up and moving around and making great progress. So that's just something that was absolutely great to see over the weekend um, for for someone that obviously means a lot to uh, the Jayhawk faithful. Yeah, for sure. And just other reminders of stuff over at Blue Wings Rising. We have uh, had, had a couple football recruiting guys come on to the staff. Uh, so there is a ton of, of content there talking about recruiting as well. We're getting pretty close to spring practices as well. I believe those start in about three weeks or so. Um, so, you know, we're going to have a decent amount of content there. And, man, fans are excited about Kansas football. Uh, in the middle of a Kansas basketball season, with, you know, a team that has a chance to, to still actually do some really good stuff for the basketball. So um, looking forward to how all this coverage is going to break out. Make sure you guys head on over there if you haven't already, bluewingsrising.com. And, of course, that is going to do it for us today. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, it would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com. Or on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod. We are, of course, part of the Central Podcast Network covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, including the new ones coming in. You can find links to all the great shows that we have over at 1012network.com. You can also support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash 1012network. We have a bunch of exclusive stuff there. Um, you can, for just five bucks a month, you can uh, support whatever show you want on the network. Again, patreon.com slash 1012network. Uh, but yeah, that's going to go ahead and do it for us today. Uh, make sure you guys visit our sponsors. Uh, Charlie Hustle and Prize Picks. Great stuff that they have over there. Uh, but that's going to do it. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.